Hello and thank you for listening. I am so excited to say that I now have a Patreon that you can go to. I'll make sure I include the information in the show notes. But I have multiple tiers you can choose from. $1, $3, and $5 tiers. The $1 Spooky Soul tier gives you access to an online Discord community that is filled with fellow spooky souls. If you want to talk about creepy, cozy things, you might be interested in that. The $2 Cryptid Creature tier lets you have that online community, as well as giving you early access to episodes, bonus content, and secret bonus content. And the $5 Kachu Cuddler tier, named after my fluffy, squish-faced kitty, lets you have that online community, early access to episodes, and the bonus material, but it also lets you suggest future episodes and I'll shout out your name during each episode. Thank you so much for your listenership and support, and I can't wait to talk to you more soon. Hello, and welcome to Creepy Core and Folklore, the show about creatures, encounters, old tales, and myths. I'm your host, Iona Wayland a dark fantasy author, mental health professional, and overall curious person. I want to join other spooky souls and hear about these unusual stories. Hello, spooky soul, and welcome to Almost Halloween, Halloween Eve. This is fun. This is a lot of fun. I know I've been bringing it up in previous episodes, but for the month of October, I've been trying to post every single day on YouTube. Um, That is not really happening, but it was a lot of fun to make these videos and talk about spooky stuff. So if you're interested in more spooky videos, you can check out my YouTube under Creepy Corn Folklore. I also have a merch available, which is super exciting, and you can check that out if you're interested. And this week, Ashes, my first book in the Hollowverse series, as well as a whole bunch of other authors, came together and made a 99 cent ebook sale. And each book has like a spookiness rating or a darkness rating where the more dark and twisty it is, it has more skulls out of five. And I'll have you know that my book has a five out of five skull score. So you can check that out. I'll make sure I have everything linked in the show notes so you can give it a read if you're interested and or check out the other authors and what they have to offer. But speaking of my book Ashes, something that I noticed is that on Amazon, it makes these suggestions of like, oh, if you like Ashes, you'll probably like these other books. Or if you like these other books, you'd probably like Ashes. And one of them that's been consistent the entire time has been the yellow wallpaper. And I don't know if you've read that short story, by Charlotte Perkins Stetson, but it's really eerie. It's about how women were treated at the time, especially when they're part of the vulnerable population, such as being pregnant or giving birth. And I was really excited to learn that the yellow wallpaper is actually a part of public domain. I don't know why I didn't think about this sooner. I'm going to make this a two-parter where I'll read the first part of the yellow wallpaper for this episode and next episode in the beginning of November on November 6th, I'll read the second half of it. But I thought it'd be kind of fun to have this story being told in such a way 
One, because I haven't read it in a really long time and I remember loving it as a teenager. And two, it can be a little creepy and a bit scary uh, just looking at the symbolism of what it makes. I don't want to spoil anything for you. But if you haven't read it yet, but let's go ahead and dive right into the yellow wallpaper. It is very seldom that mere ordinary people like John and myself secure ancestral halls for the summer. A colonial mansion, a hereditary estate, I would say a haunted house, and reach the height of romantic felicity but that would be asking too much of fate. Still, I will proudly declare that there is something queer about it. Else, why should it be let so cheaply? And why have stood so long unattended? John laughs at me, of course, but one expects that in marriage. John is practically in the extreme. He has no patience with faith, an intense horror of superstition, and he scoffs openly at any talk of things not to be felt and seen and put down in figures. John is a physician, and perhaps, I would not say it to a living soul, of course, but this is dead paper and a great relief to my mind, perhaps that is one reason I do not get well faster. You see, he does not believe I am sick, and what can one do? If a physician of high standing and one's own husband assures friends and relatives that there is nothing the matter with one but temporary nervous depression, a slight hysterical tendency... What is one to do? My brother is also a physician and also of high standing, and he says the same thing. So I take phosphates or phosphites, whichever it is, and tonics and journeys and air and exercise and am absolutely forbidden to, quote, work until I am well again. Personally, I disagree with their ideas. Personally, I believe that congenial work with excitement and change would do me good. But what is one to do? I did write for a while in spite of them, but it does exhaust me a good deal having to be so sly about it or else meet with heavy opposition. I sometimes fancy that in my condition, if I had less opposition and more society and stimulus, but John says the very worst thing I can do is to think about my condition and I confess it always makes me feel bad. So I will let it alone and talk about the house, the most beautiful place. It is quite alone, standing well back from the road quite three miles from the village. It makes me think of English places that you read about, for there are hedges and walls and gates that lock, and lots of separate little houses for the gardeners and people. There is a delicious garden. I never saw such a garden, large and shady, full of box-bordered paths, and lined with long grape-covered arbors with seats under them. There were greenhouses too, but they are all broken now. There was some legal trouble, I believe, something about the heirs and co-heirs. Anyhow, the place has been empty for years. That spoils my ghostliness, I am afraid. But I don't care. There's something strange about the house. I can feel it. I even said so to John one moonlight evening, but he said what I felt was a drought and shut the windows. I get unreasonably angry with John sometimes. I'm sure I never used to be so sensitive. I think it is due to my nervous condition. But John says, if I feel so, I shall neglect proper self-control. So I take pains to control myself, before him at least, and that makes me very tired. I don't like our room a bit. I wanted one downstairs that opened on the piazza and had roses all over the window and such pretty old-fashioned shints hangings. But John 
would not hear of it. He said there was only one window and not room for two beds and no near room for him if he took another. He is very careful and loving and hardly lets me stir without special direction. I have a scheduled prescription for each hour in the day. He takes all care from me, and so I feel basically ungrateful not to value it more. He said we came here solely on my account, that I was to have perfect rest and all the air I could get. Your exercise depends on your strength, my dear, he said, and your food is somewhat on your appetite, but air you can absorb all the time. So we took the nursery at the top of the house. It is a big, airy room, the whole floor nearly with windows that look all ways, and air and sunshine galore. It was nursery first, then playroom and gymnasium. I should judge, for the windows are barred for little children, and there are rings and things in the walls. The paint and paper look as if a boy's school had used it. It was stripped off, the paper, and great patches all around the head of the bed, about as far as I can reach and in a great place on the other side of the room low down. I never saw worse paper in my life. One of those sprawling flamboyant patterns committing every artistic sin. It is dull enough to confuse the eye on following, pronounced enough to constantly irritate and provoke study. And when you follow the lame uncertain curves for a little distance, they suddenly commit suicide, plunging off at outrageous angles, destroy themselves in an unheard of contradiction. The color is repellent, almost revolting, a smoldering, unclean yellow, strangely faded by the slow-turning sunlight. It is a dull, yet lurid orange in some places, a stickly sulfur tint in others. No wonder that children hated it. I should hate it myself if I had to live in this room long. There comes John, and I must put this away. He hates to have me write a word. We have been here two weeks, and I haven't felt like writing before since that first day. I'm sitting by the window now, up in this atrocious nursery, and there's nothing to hinder my writing as much as I please, save lack of strength. John is away all day, and even some nights when his cases are serious. I'm glad my case is not serious, but these nervous troubles are dreadfully depressing. John does not know how much I really suffer. He knows there is no reason to suffer, and that satisfies him. Of course, it is only nervousness. It does weigh on me, so not to do my duty in any way. I mean to be such a help to John, such a real rest and comfort, and here I am, a comparative burden already. Nobody would believe what an effort it is to do what little I am able, to dress and entertain and order things. It is fortunate Mary is so good with the baby. Such a dear baby, and yet I cannot be with him. It makes me so nervous. I suppose John never was nervous in his life. He laughs at me so about this wallpaper. At first, he meant to repaper the room, but afterwards, he said that I was letting it get the better of me and that nothing was worse for a nervous patient than to give way to such fancies. He said that after the wallpaper was changed, It would be the heavy bedstead, and then the barred windows, and then the gate at the head of the stairs, and so on. You know the place is doing you good, he said. And really, dear, I don't care to renovate the house just for a three months rental. Then do let us go downstairs, I said. There are such pretty rooms there. Then he took me in his arms and called me a blessed little goose and said he would go down cellar if I wished and have it whitewashed into the bargain. But he is right enough about the beds and windows and things. It is an airy and comfortable room as anyone needs wish. And, of course, I would not be so silly as to make him uncomfortable just for a whim. 
I'm really getting quite fond of the big room, all but the horrid paper. Out of one window, I can see the garden, those mysterious deep shaded arbors, the riotous old fashioned flowers and bushes and gnarly trees. Out of another, I get a lovely view of the bay and a little private wharf belonging to the estate. There's a beautiful shaded lane that runs down there from the house. I always fancy I see people walking in these numerous paths and arbors, but John has cautioned me not to give way to fancy in the least. He says that with my imaginative power and habit of story making, a nervous weakness like mine is sure to lead to all manner of excited fancies and that I ought to use my will and good sense to check the tendency. So I try. I think sometimes that if I were only well enough to write a little, it would relieve the press of ideas and rest me. But I find I get pretty tired when I try. It is so discouraging not to have any advice and companionship about my work. When I get really well, John says he will ask Cousin Henry and Julia down for a long visit. But he says he would as soon put fireworks in my pillowcase as to let me have those stimulating people about now. I wish I could get well faster. But I must not think about that. This paper looks to me as if it knew... What a vicious influence it had. There is a recurrent spot where the pattern lolls like a broken neck and two bulbous eyes stare at you upside down. I get positively angry with the impertinence of it and the everlastingness. Up and down and sideways they crawl, and those absurd unblinking eyes are everywhere. There's one place where two breaths didn't match, and the eyes go all up and down the line, one a little higher than the other. I never saw so much expression in an inanimate thing before, and we all know how much expression they have. I used to lie awake as a child and get more entertainment and tear out of blank walls and plain furniture than most children could find in a toy store. I remember what a kindly wink the knobs of our big old bureau used to have, and there was one chair that always seemed like a strong friend. I used to feel that if any of the other things looked too fierce, I could always hop into the chair and be safe. The furniture in this room is no worse than inharmonious, however, for we had to bring it all from downstairs. I suppose when this was used as a playroom, they had to take the nursery things out, and no wonder, I never saw such ravages as the children have made here. The wallpaper, as I said before, is torn off in spots, and it sticketh closer than a brother. They must have had perseverance as well as hatred." Then the floor is scratched and gouged and splintered. The plaster itself is dug out here and there. And this great heavy bed, which is all we found in the room, looks as if it had been through the wars. But I don't mind it a bit, only the paper. There comes John's sister, such a dear girl as she is and so careful of me. I must not let her find me writing. She is a perfect and enthusiastic housekeeper and hopes for no better profession. I verily believe she thinks it is the writing which made me sick, but I can write when she is out and see her a long way off these from these windows. There's one that commands the road, a lovely shaded winding road, and one that looks off over the country. A lovely country too, full of great elms and velvet meadows. This wallpaper has a kind of sub-pattern and different shade. A particularly irritating one, for you can only see it in certain lights and not clearly then. But in the places where it isn't faded and where the sun is just so, I can see a strange, provoking, formless sort of figure that seems to skulk about behind that silly and conspicuous front design. There's Sister on the Stairs.
Well, the 4th of July is over. The people are all gone and I'm tired out. John thought it might do me some good to see a little company, so we just had Mother and Nellie and the children down for a week. Of course, I didn't do a thing. Jenny sees to everything now. But it tired me all the same. John says if I don't pick up faster, he shall send me to Ware Mitchell in the fall. But I don't want to go there at all. I had a friend who was in his hands once, and she says he is just like John and my brother, only more so. Besides, it is such an undertaking to go so far. I don't feel as if it was worthwhile to turn my hand over for anything, and I'm getting dreadfully fretful and querulous. I cry at nothing and cry most of the time. Of course, I don't when John is here or anybody else, but when I am alone. And I am alone a good deal just now. John is kept in town very often by serious cases, and Jenny is good and lets me alone when I want her to. So I walk a little in the garden or down that lovely lane, sit on the porch under the roses, and lie down up here a good deal. I'm getting really fond of the room in spite of the wallpaper. Perhaps because of the wallpaper, it dwells in my mind so. I lie here in the great immovable bed, it is nailed down, I believe, and follow that pattern about by the hour. It's as good as gymnastics, I assure you. I start, we'll say, at the bottom, down in the corner, over there, where it has not been touched, and I determine for the thousandth time that I will follow that pointless pattern to some sort of a conclusion. I know a little of the principle of design, and I know this thing was not arranged on any laws of radiation or alternation or repetition or symmetry or anything else that I have ever heard of. It is repeated, of course, by the breaths, but not otherwise. Looked at in one way, each breath stands alone, the bloated curves and flourishes, a kind of debased Romanesque with delirium tremens, go waddling up and down in isolated columns of fatuity. But on the other hand, they connect diagonally, and the sprawling outlines run off in great slanting waves of optic horror, like a lot of wallowing seaweeds in full chase. The whole thing goes horizontally, too. At least it seems so, and I exhaust myself in trying to distinguish the order of its going in that direction. They have used a horizontal breath for a freeze, and that adds wonderfully to the confusion. There's one end of the room where it is almost intact, and there, when the cross lights fade and the low sun shines directly upon it, I can almost fancy radiation after all, the interminable, grotesque seam to form around a common center and push off in headlong plunges of equal distraction. It makes me tired to follow it. I will take a nap, I guess. I think I'm going to stop it there because there's that little break in her diary entry, basically, for another time. Maybe I should put like a little sound effect where the breaks were between diary entries or something. But yeah, you can start seeing some themes. I realize now uh, that I didn't realize before where she had had a baby and I didn't realize that's getting taken care of by her sister-in-law, but I think it's very interesting the at least what I'm taking from it is like, all right, we've got postpartum something going on potentially. And then we have a ton of of minimizing yet also low key threatening going on by the husband who's like, I'm a doctor. And then it's like, you have nothing wrong with you. But if you keep saying you have something wrong with you, I'll send you away. And it's like, okay, well, that's not cool to say the least. 
but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it so far. And I'd also love to know if you've read this before. It's a very interesting story. And I'm surprised and kind of horrified by how much it holds up even right now. Um, because I can't tell you how many um, femme presenting people or and or marginalized people will talk about going to a physician and being like told it's like, oh, it's probably because you have a uterus. And it's like, that cannot be um, your diagnosis. So, uh, you know, medical gaslighting and when you're not paired up with a physician or a clinician that is holistic, Um, It can be really tough and can be really challenging and traumatic. So I think it's interesting that she wrote a book like this and it's so relatable even still today. Also, personally, I can totally relate in seeing like kind of like seeing faces in inanimate objects and like kind of getting a vibe from different inanimate objects. And it kind of hurts my heart that this character, who is still like nameless, I think at this point, uh, I don't remember reading her name at all. Like I know the husband's name is John and Jenny is the sister-in-law, but I don't know if she's had the name other than like Little Goose, which is very patronizing in my opinion. But it hurts my heart that this character clearly wants to be a writer and she has these creative, imaginative moments. She's driven to like take that seed of an idea and turn it into a story but that's not like supported by her husband um, or any family member. So that's really sad. So there's a lot going on here. I'd love to know your thoughts if you've uh, read it. If it bothers you to have part one and part two, I'll of course include the short story below in the show notes. Um, So you can check it out. If you can't do a part one, part two, I totally get that because sometimes I get like that where I'm like, what's the ending? (laughs) Um, Especially if you haven't read it or if it's been a while since you've read it like me. But yeah, thank you for listening and I'll come back with part two next week. Thanks to all you spooky souls out there for listening to Creepy Core and Folklore. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok if you're looking for more uncanny content. If you have your own tales to tell, you can email creepycoreandfolklore at gmail.com. If you like this, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts or tell a friend who might enjoy these stories to spread the word. If you're interested in dark fantasy, check out my Hollowverse series. Ashes is available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and audiobook on Audible. And the sequel is underway. I'm Iona Wayland and I'll see you next time.